right, y'all glad to be here? All right, we're going to sing out the blue hymnal, number 367. 367. Amen. stand 488 Silver. 
Brother Gary, if you would, open this in prayer, please. Yes, Father Lord. Amen. Please do be seated. Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house again. Glad you all are here. And <clears throat> beautiful day. You know, I <clears throat> whenever you schedule a meeting like this in February, you're always worried that you're going to have some kind of ice storm. Make it so you can't. I'm, I'm worried that the weather might be too good. People have other things to do. <laughs> now it's been, been beautiful. And so anyhow, good. Glad everyone's here tonight. Uh, just being inviting for throughout the week, and uh, we'll see who uh, uh, comes and just a uh, time of blessing. I was really challenged by the messages this morning and uh, looking forward to what we have today. But uh, we're going to receive our evening offerings at this time for men will come to receive those. There we go. And uh, Brother Rich, if you would, ask the Lord's blessing on the offering, please. Uh, thanks so much, Lord, for Lord's Day giving us what a wonderful morning of preaching. Amen. number 454 Christ has for sin atonement made but a wonderful Savior we are 
sing 371. 371. And if you can, let's all stand again. 371. After this service, we will be exactly 37.5% through our revival. Amen. The reason I tell you that is this week will happen fast, guys. It'll happen fast. So let me encourage you. Just dedicate yourself to be here Monday through Friday, 7 o'clock the rest of the week. Invite your friends, your loved ones, preach friends, whatever. And uh, let's just uh, have a time of revival. These are just meetings. Maybe some special music, maybe some heartfelt singing, but until you say, Lord, me, it's me, it's me, it's me. Ask the Lord to take and to draw you close. And I tell you, we had a great start with that this morning, so Sunday school. So just uh, be in prayer, uh, be in attendance, and just ask the Lord to bless throughout this week. Brother uh, Jeremy Taylor, you come. Time to preach. Amen. What was that, 37.5? Are, are you keeping tabs on when it's over? Is that what it is? Let's take our Bibles tonight, 1 Kings chapter 21, shall we? 1 Kings chapter 21. I do appreciate very much the opportunity to be here. Thank you so much. I enjoyed myself. Uh, I'd like to say that that's the case everywhere we go, but that's not always true. And to to come to a place that where people like to gather around the Bible and just appreciate the Word of God, I I thoroughly enjoyed this morning. 
and trust that the Lord helped you, gave you something. And so we're going to look tonight, 1 Kings chapter 21. You reach a place, let's stand together, shall we? And give attention to the Word of God. We'll look here in chapter 21. Go all the way to the end of the chapter, if you would, and let's begin in verse 25. 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 25. The Bible says, But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols according to all things as did the Amorites whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Our Father, tonight we do thank you for allowing us to gather. God, we are so appreciative of your word and the truth, dear God, that grips, grips a hold of our heart and, Father, gives us direction and gives us guidance God, thank you for your Bible tonight. I pray, dear Lord, that you'd help us. I pray you'd take us by the hand, lead us to truth. God, I pray that you'd use me as a vessel in your hand. And Father, we just we, we really want to hear from you. And may our hearts be tender and yielded and open to all that you have for us, dear God. And we'll thank you as we ask it together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so very, very much. You may be seated. First Kings chapter 21 begins with a man by the name of Naboth. The Bible teaches you and I about Naboth, that he had a particular vineyard that was actually joined up to the palace of Ahab. Ahab began to look at that vineyard, began to lust after it in his eyes and liked what he saw. And in fact, the Bible tells us that he went to Naboth and he attempted to purchase the vineyard. He wanted to buy it. He wanted to have it for himself. And Naboth said, I'm sorry, we can't do that. It's part of my inheritance. It's been passed down for me. And truth be told, it's not for sale. And so I can't do that. And Ladies and gentlemen, Ahab, being the man that he was, went home and pouted, all right? Uh, he pouted and kind of whined a little bit, talked to Jezebel about it, and Jezebel began to scheme. She began to conspire, she began to think this thing through, and so she ends up maneuvering and manipulating the situation to where Naboth is accused of blasphemy against the Lord and stoned to death. The Bible teaches you and I that Jezebel then returns unto Ahab and tells him and encourages him, why don't you go ahead and go uh, take possession of that very vineyard that you wanted and that's the way that the account goes. He does exactly that. He lays claim to that vineyard and takes it unto himself and the Bible teaches you and I that Ahab and Jezebel just kind of go on with life. They almost act as if they've gotten away with it. But the truth of the matter is God's watching. 
And you don't get away with anything. I don't get away with anything. You're not going to get away with anything. And we better be careful that we don't take God's long suffering as a means for his okay with the sin in our life. Because that's not the way it works. So God comes to Elijah. He says, I want you to go to Ahab and I want you to confront him about what he's done. May I just put a pause right here. This isn't really the message or the direction, but it is a good truth for you and I tonight. And the fact is, is that do you realize what God has asked of Elijah to do? He wants him to go stand before the king and bring his sin to his recognition, confront him about it. I, I tell you, this is not some little bitty thing. It's not some kind of nonchalant, no big deal. God has asked a very hard thing of Elijah to the point that Ahab could have cost him his life with it. May I just remind you as we stated this morning that there are things in which God will ask of us that sometimes make us uncomfortable. Sometimes God will ask us to do very difficult things, even dangerous things on occasion. And ladies and gentlemen, the reason that God will do that is number one, to see if we're going to be obedient to Him. And number two, whether we're going to trust Him or not. Because regardless of what He asks, regardless of how uncomfortable it might make us, the fact is if God asks of that, there are to be nothing that we wouldn't do for Him. And so... God comes to Elijah and says, I want you to go confront Ahab. Elijah does just that. He comes to Ahab and he talks to Ahab and he brings his sin to his attention. The Bible says that Ahab is told by Elijah that he is going to have the dogs lick up his blood in the very same place that they dealt with with Naboth. Furthermore, Elijah tells him that his children are going to be destroyed and Jezebel herself is going to be eaten by dogs. They're going to suffer a violent death. Can, can I summarize it for us tonight and tell you that this is what God has told Ahab through Elijah. You're facing the judgment of God. You're going to suffer judgment and it's going to come upon you and deal with you and your life. It's a judgment issue. Now here's what I'm interested in tonight, and I want you to see it with me. Look in verse 29, because here is what happens. When Ahab is confronted with what God says about him and what God's going to do to him, here's what God says about him. He says, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Now, ladies and gentlemen, did you catch that? God's talking to Elijah here. And notice the first couple of words. Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Elijah, and if you don't mind, sometimes I read the Bible and I look, I wonder how this happened. I wonder how this transpired. And you almost get the picture where God's trying to get Elijah's attention. He says, come here, come here, I want you to see this. Look at this. Pay attention to this. You see what Ahab's done? Ahab has humbled himself before me. God was so moved by the humility of Ahab that he calls Elijah 
to pay attention to it and witness it with his own eyes. If you allow me for a few moments tonight, I want to preach to you on this thought. Ahab deserves our attention. I think Ahab deserves our attention a lot more than what we think and some of the ideas that sometimes we get a hold of. Because God is the one, not talking just to Ahab, but God is talking to Elijah and says, I want you to see, I want you to pay attention and look at this truth. I'll give you three things tonight. Number one, I want you to notice with me the magnitude of Ahab's rebellion. You know what the Bible says about Ahab? Look in verse 25 with me if you would. He says, but there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord. The Bible says there was none like him. When it comes to the level of wickedness and sin in his life, God says and testifies about Ahab, there was nobody to the level of Ahab but to this point. Now I'm reminded and I think about that. I think, well, God said a similar statement about Job when God brought uh, Satan's attention to Job and said there's nobody like him. There's nobody that is perfect and upright and excuseth evil. And and so in, in one way, there was nobody to that point that had ever been as good as Job. But in the opposite direction, God brings attention and said there had been nobody as wicked and undone as Ahab. Notice with me what the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 16. Let's look at the first time he's ever mentioned in the scriptures. Go back a couple of pages to the left and look in chapter 16 with me tonight and notice what it says in verse number 30. The Bible says, And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Now, can we just go ahead and be honest tonight with one another? That's probably not the legacy you want to leave behind. (laughs) I mean, we probably ought to strive more to want to be like Job and have God say, well, there's nobody like him and had been this perfect and upright. None of us want to leave the kind of legacy that Ahab leaves behind him. The very first time he's ever mentioned, God says, there's nobody that has risen to this kind of of wickedness. Look what he says in verse 33. It says, Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Again, I'm not sure that's the legacy we all want to leave behind. But in our passage back in chapter 21, here's what we find. The Bible says that there was none like unto Ahab. Now notice this next statement, which did sell himself to work wickedness. You know what that means? Ahab gave himself over to be controlled by wickedness. If you and I say tonight I had a car and I sold you a car, once the money has been transferred, Once the title's been signed and the transaction has been done, guess what? I relinquish control of that car. 
I don't have the right to tell you how to drive it. I don't have the right to tell you, well, it needs to be maintained in this way and you need to make sure that you do this and you do that. I might give you some advice about it if you were open to it or, or not, but really I don't have any control. I can't tell you don't go down here and drive 50 miles, in a, uh, 50 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone. Now, some other guys might have a say-so in how you drive, but I really can't tell you. I don't have control. Once I've sold it, I relinquish the right to control it and tell you what to do with it. Okay, we understand that. In the same idea, when the Bible says that Ahab sold himself to wickedness, he literally gave control of his life and himself over to the power of wickedness. Wickedness was now dictating and controlling his life and telling him what to do, how to do it, when to do it. Wickedness was calling the shots in the life of Ahab. That's a pretty amazing thing. It's really a scary thought when you and I think about what's happened in his life. The Bible says this in verse number 26. Look at it with me in verse 26. Here's what the scriptures say. Speaking of Ahab, it says, He did very abominably in following idols, according to all the things did the Amorites. Would you understand with me tonight that this word abominably is, is an interesting word because there's many things in the Bible that God calls abomination. He calls homosexuality an abomination. He calls things of a sexual nature an abomination. He talks here in our passage about idols and idolatry and how often the heathen world would actually sacrifice their own children to these different idols and such. God calls a lot of those things an abomination. That word abomination is a word which means to stink or to cause a stench. God says it stinks. I don't mean to be gross tonight or anything of that nature, but several years ago, we were out for a week to youth camp, and at that time, my wife had babysat our niece, and her and my oldest daughter, we don't know which one, I blame my oldest daughter, but she blames my niece, go figure. But we had a deep freeze in the kitchen. And that deep freeze had a dial right there on the outside. And so we were gone for a little over a week at youth camp and that kind of stuff. And we come home, opened up that front door, and was like, whoa, something's not right. Looked in, looked over there at the deep freeze, and the light's still on. Still plugged in, still got power. But somebody had messed with that dial and turned it all the way up. Went over there and opened up that lid on that deep freeze. And I've smelled a lot of things over the years, but nothing stank like that. It was horrid. I, I had several deer in the deep freeze, had a couple of other things, some fish and different things, all of it ruined, gone, nasty. It's enough to make you nauseated and stench. We, we doing okay tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I 
God says about Ahab and how he acted and what he did was a stench. Now that's interesting because you'll find over and over in the Bible when it talks about issues of sacrifice that those are a sweet smelling savor to God. But when it comes to this issue of sin and wickedness and what he's dealing with, God says it's a stench, it's nasty. Say, preacher, what are you, what are you trying to say? I, I wonder tonight what the Lord might say about you and I. Would he look at our life and the things we're involved in and what we do? If he were to reach out over the portals of heaven and take a whiff of our life, I wonder whether it'd be a sweet savor in the nostrils of God and how we sacrifice and we serve him and that which we give to him, would he be honored with it tonight? Or my friend, would that which we give unto the Lord, would it be a stench in his nostrils? It's a pretty sobering thought when we think about it. You say, well, preacher, hold on, right? Hold, just hold on. I'm not Ahab. I'm not as bad as Ahab. And that probably is true. Probably most of us tonight would not equal or line up to the issue of Ahab. But can I remind you something tonight? Ahab is not the measuring stick. The Lord Jesus Christ is. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 is very clear that for every single child of God who gets born again, it is God's will for your life that you become more and more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's will for your life. And oh, we may not be Ahab tonight, but let's be real honest, we're not Jesus either. We've got a long way to go. I've got a long way to go before I reach up to Him. Oh, you say, preacher, are you trying? I, I want to be. I, I really do. I want to be more like my Savior every day. But I got a long way to go. And when I think about my life, and I think somehow, sometimes how uh, short I fall of Him and the things that I do, I, I'll tell you, sometimes I get overwhelmed. Like, Lord, I don't even know why you put up with me. And there is a magnitude of rebellion found in Ahab. But ladies and gentlemen, here's what I want you to see. Not only do we see the magnitude of his rebellion, notice with me tonight the measure of his repentance. You say, what do you mean? Well, look at it with me. Verse 27. We're going somewhere. Verse 27. It came to pass when Ahab heard those words. So first of all, God sends Elijah to him, and Ahab listens. Isn't that amazing? Somebody as wicked and rebellious as Ahab listens to the man of God as he gives him the word of God. And can I tell you, that's exactly what God does with your pastor that's what's happening this week it is not just a message from some visiting preacher it's not just some sermon or some outline we ought to take it as it is in fact the very word of God and it's a message from him and I'm amazed at the fact that often you know we we find Ahab listening here to that which is given to him I wonder sometimes how open we are to listen to what God is trying to say. 
Well, because here's what Ahab does. He listens to Elijah, and then the Bible says that he rents his clothes, and he sits in sackcloth. You say, well, what, all, what is all that about? That's an expression. It's an outward display of what is supposed to be taking place in the heart. Okay? It's brokenness. It's sorrow. Ahab displays a brokenness, a sorrow over that which he does. And then notice what it says here. It says so that he put on sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. You know what that term to go to, to that he went softly? It's the opposite of somebody who's stiff necked. Somebody who's stiff necked. Ah. <coughs> Nothing wrong with me. No, I didn't do anything wrong. I had the right. I'm king. I wanted that vineyard. He should have gave it to me. Who does he think he is? That's a stiff-necked person. Somebody who's soft, it's the opposite. You know what it displays? It shows that he's in agreement with what God has said about him. You ever have your children, you tell them to do something, and they... Now, hopefully yours don't do that or you don't let them do that. But kids, okay, well, preacher, they didn't say anything. Oh, they said a whole lot. <laughs> that very action, that very spirit, that very, uh, that's not going softly. That's frustration and mad and I don't agree and I'm being picked on and it's justification of their sin. But when you, yeah, that's right. Ahab has displayed an agreement with what God has said about him. Now that's important. We talked this morning in our Sunday school time about coming to the place in where we confess our sin. Do you understand confession is more than just checking off the box and saying we've done this, we've done that, we've done that also? Confession at the heart of it is being in agreement with what God says about you. Amen. God, you're right. I'm not as faithful as I ought to be. God, you're right. I'm not as serious about the things of the Lord as I should be. God, you're right. I ought to be a better witness God, you're right, I ought to do better in this area or that area. Whatever it is that God might be putting his finger on and talking to your heart about and dealing with you, a real heart of confession is, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. You see, we're not going to be able to get right with the Lord and get things squared away if we're in opposition and, and we're not on tune, in tune with him you and I have got to agree, God, you're right, and I'm wrong. And Ahab gives a display of this very truth in his life as he deals with this particular thing. Now, I want you to get a hold of this, and I want to say this correctly, if I can. When Ahab 
seemingly humbles himself before God, agrees that God is right and he is wrong. Can I say it this way? While he displays repentance, his repentance wasn't complete. Okay, what do you mean, preacher? All right. He never gives the vineyard back. He holds on to it. There's no restitution. You remember Zacchaeus? In Luke chapter 19, he's got saved by the grace of God. And the Bible says about Zacchaeus, after God got a hold of his heart and he got saved and got things right with the Lord, Zacchaeus said, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get right. And if I need to restore fourfold... I'll do it just... It wasn't a matter of whether he did or didn't. The issue was his heart wanted to and he was willing to make any kind of restitution because he was serious in his repentance and his relationship with God. Ahab, I feel bad and God, you're right, I shouldn't have done it. But I ain't giving it back. Later on, you want to see how serious he is about the Lord? In the very next chapter, in chapter 18, we find that Ahab and Jehoshaphat make a league together and they go to war against Syria. And Jehoshaphat says, is there anybody that we could inquire of and get a hold of the Lord about this issue? You know who Ahab gets? He gets 400 prophets. Oh, where are those prophets from, preacher? They're found in chapter 18, verse 19. They're the prophets that sat at Jezebel's table. What's so important about that? Ladies and gentlemen, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 teaches you and I, when somebody's real and serious and genuine about getting right with the Lord... The Bible says they turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So while he gave some outward display, while he gave some kind of um, token display of trying to get things right with the Lord... He was only willing to go so far. He was only willing to do so much. And his repentance was not complete or genuine before the Lord. Okay, what's your point? All right, I want you to think about this with me. We see the magnitude of his rebellion. We see the measure of his repentance. But I want you to notice this with me tonight, the mercy in his reprieve. Because here's what I want you to see, verse 29. God said that because Ahab was willing to humble himself before him, God was going to give some mercy and not bring evil in his day. But he would would put the pause button on it, if I could say it that way. He would prolong it until the next generation. Well, I guess O.A. had fooled God, didn't he? No. 
God knew Ahab's heart. God wasn't taken by surprise. God didn't look at Ahab and say, wow, I wonder whether he's serious about this issue or not. No, God knew Ahab better than Ahab knew Ahab. And the same is true about you and I. And yet, just a little bit of display of humility, just a little bit of display of somebody humbling themselves before God, and God was right on top of it and God was willing to show mercy even with a partial repentance even with a little bit of humility what is that about it speaks more of our God than it does of Ahab let me read you some Bible if I can The Bible teaches you and I this in Micah chapter 7. We read it this morning, verse 18. It says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. Aren't you glad tonight that God delights in mercy? I kind of picture it this way, that God watches over my life and God watches for just the slightest display, the very slightest issue and where I'm willing to humble myself before him and God is willing to come and meet me where I am and show me mercy for the things that I do. I'm glad tonight that we got a great merciful God. Here's what I want you to see. Back to verse 28, would you? It says, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? You know what this story is about? This is about God getting a hold of Elijah and saying, Look at this. Pay attention to this. Okay, Here's my question. If God is willing to show mercy at the level he was for a man to whom he categorized as the most wicked ever of his day, if God is willing to give him mercy and God is willing to help him and God is willing to work with him at the very slightest display of humility, What might God do for somebody who's serious? What might God do for his children that are broken hearted over their sin? Broken hearted over the fact that they're distant and cold and indifferent. You see, sometimes in revival, we get the idea that backslidden are just those who are out in the bars and those who are doing this and those who are engulfed in pornography and other wicked sins. But do you know that Proverbs chapter 14, verse 14, the Bible says the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. You can be backslidden from a Baptist church pew. And sometimes we may not be doing the things that Ahab does, but sometimes the backslidden condition is just filled with too much of us. 
too much of us and not enough of him. And if God was looking down at Ahab, and as soon as he showed some humility, God says, come here, come here, Elijah, look at this. Pay attention to this. God was moved by that. If God would do that for Ahab, what might he do for me? What might he do for you tonight if we'd humble ourselves before him? There's a famous verse that's used often in light of revival, and it's found in 2 Chronicles chapter number 7 and verse 14. The Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. So, preacher, we can't control all of America, and we can't even control all of Missouri or Monette. We can't even make everybody in our church Humble themselves. No. But you can humble you. And I can humble me. And what might God do with a spark? With one and another and another. And what impact might it have in the lives and the hearts of other folks? Ahab deserves our attention. Come here, Elijah. Look at this. Seest thou this man of such wicked magnitude with a rebellious spirit and heart? Look at him. He's humbled himself. God knew. God was fully aware. God says, you know what I'm going to do? Show him some mercy. And I'm not bringing the hammer down on him. I'll wait just a little while. God would do it for a man like him. Might we find ourselves as his children, humbling ourselves before him. Because the Bible is clear. If we'll humble ourselves before him, God will exalt us in due time. James chapter 4 and verse number 8. Draw nigh unto God, he'll draw nigh unto us. You know one of the key elements to revival in the lives of God's people? Is this issue of humility. Humbling ourselves before him. Lord, I'm not where I ought to be. Well, I may not be in the world, and I may not be in pornography, and I may not be in alcohol, and I may not be in this. I may not be Ahab. But God, honestly, I'm not where I should be. I could do better. I could be better. And a humble spirit before God What might he take notice of that and work in our lives in ways we couldn't even imagine? He is still a God that is able to do exceedingly, 
abundantly above all that we ask or think. And Ahab deserves our attention. And if God is willing to have mercy on him, I wonder what God would do if we'd humble ourselves before. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed tonight. It's a simple thought. But yet it's a profound thought. I wonder tonight if there's not some of us that know in our heart and desire in our heart to be closer to Him, to be more yielded, to allow Him to have better control of what we do and who we are. I wonder if we don't just need to Maybe find a place on the altar tonight and humble our heart before Him. Say, God, I need you. I want to be better. I want to do better. I want to love you like we talked about this morning. So, God, I want to humble myself before you and see what you'll do. Our Father tonight, Father, every one of us ought to be humbled in the very fact that you'd love us, the very fact that you're as good to us as you are, and so much more than we deserve. Father, I pray tonight you'll take the thoughts and drive them down to the corridors of our heart. And help us to take an honest evaluation. Help us, dear Lord, to humble ourselves before you. That you might show mercy and work in our lives in a great way. Take the invitation tonight. Work as you see fit. In Jesus' name. Amen. The pianist plays. We stand to our feet tonight.